based on my own personal uh, discovery, uh, looking around the, the, the uh, energy sources in the world, and I realized that uh, the statistics show that about 500 million people, about half a billion people, cook their meals on wood fires every day around the world. And this practice has huge environmental health, social, and economic impacts. Uh, and meanwhile, a lot of these are these, these uh, low-income countries are also sunny countries, the sunny countries in the equatorial regions of the world. So despite this, there is very little awareness and support for solar cooking. Uh, I read an article recently uh, from uh, Science Magazine in uh, February, a uh, big article by some agronomists and anthropologists talking about Haiti, and they were talking about greening Haiti. The uh, idea was that charcoal is the main cooking energy source for the country, which is certainly true. And this anthropologist uh, from University of Florida says, you can kiss Haiti goodbye unless you plant wood for charcoal, right? Because that's the way they have been uh, cooking. So, you know, if you look at a Google map uh, picture of Haiti, uh, this area to the left of the river is almost completely bare, except for maybe the tops of the ridges the rest of this is stripped bare of the uh, trees and shrubs and any kind of woody material. The right side is in the Dominican Republic. Uh, it's a little better, but still a lot of bare ground because it's these, this island of Hispaniola is being uh, turned into something like, similar to Easter Island. So the question I'm asking is, is tree planting the only solution? Use it, the quote there uh, in this article in Science uh, mentioned using agroforestry to fight the right find the right combination of species that will both appeal to farmers and thrive on the thin veneer of topsoil that gets almost no rain for half the year. Well, hello, uh, with no rain, that means the sky is clear, right? So they have plenty of sunshine uh, coming down on them. Another uh, very uh, noble organization, uh, Lawrence Berkeley Laboratory, one of the energy laboratories out in California. Uh, some of the volunteers at the lab put together a design for an, a fuel-efficient cook stove, wood cook stove, for the refugees in Darfur. And uh, in this effort, they d developed a, uh, they used the uh, uh, hydrodynamic codes that are usually used for designing nuclear weapons, and in their spare time, they worked out designs for the, fuel, the, the gas flow in, a, in a, a stove to optimize the design to minimize the use of fuel. Very interesting, noble effort. However, again, hello, look at the pictures. Look at the shadows on the ground. What's, what's happening here? What is being missed? What I'm seeing here is that the sciences are stovepiped. We have the biologists fo focusing on wood uh, grow more trees, so they'll have more charcoal to burn. We have the physicists focusing on build more efficient fuel stoves, you know. We have the climatologists out there talking about global warming and climate change. We have the anthropologists out there, uh, and we have really very little generic knowledge about how people actually uh, cook. So this is an old Malden cartoon that sums up my main point here. And it shows a, a nuclear scientist uh, sweating away, working on a nuclear power plant. Uh, a guy digging coal, and another man drilling for oil. And the son is saying, look up, you fools. 
And this summarizes the, the message, and that was, of course, many decades ago when that was done. So when I talked to someone in, in my neighborhood around here, I live around Washington, D.C., and I talked about solar, uh, people think immediately of photovoltaic solar as solar. That's, a, that's what solar means, photovoltaic. But there's all kinds of solar, right? This is a uh, uh, thermal solar uh, hot water uh, collector. Uh, there's these uh, long trough collectors for concentrated solar uh, or these uh, solar power tower ideas that uh, uh, Dr. Bull just uh, recently uh, showed us. But there's also these solar cookers at the other end of the scale, starting at the bottom, starting where uh, typically women are cooking their meals, there's other options for solar. So these are parabolic cookers. Uh, quite popular in uh, China and India uh, in lots of areas where they want a lot of heat to, to, to fry foods or to uh, make breads, and uh, these, these work very well. There's also box-type solar cookers. They just have a, a box lined with foil and uh, a, a piece of window glass put over the top of it, and they become a very effective oven. Uh, and then there's also panel-type cookers, which uh, are... Uh, used uh, everywhere around the world, and they were just basically made out of uh, flat pieces of material, uh, either uh, aluminum or, in this case, uh, cardboard, lined with aluminum foil or metalized plastic film. Low-cost, lightweight, cheap materials that are available everywhere. And indeed, some of these were distributed in Darfur. Several thousand of them were, were distributed by various uh, nonprofits. And so here, what you see is some women who are uh, happily watching their food cook while they stand around and gossip and their, their children are standing around. They can take care of their kids or they can do other work while their food uh, is cooked by the sun. The device they're using is called a cook kit and it's uh, developed and uh, distributed by an organization called uh, Solar Cookers International headquartered in Sacramento. It has this, this uh, aluminum-lined cardboard with a black pot in the middle. To stop convection flow, they put a roaster bag around it, and it also includes a little thing called a WAPI, which is a water purification indicator. It's just, uh, it has a little wax in it that melts at the temperature that's necessary to sterilize the uh, water. So that's, uh, and I have an example of that. In fact, I have one right here. Uh, this was made uh, in our local area by some, a Boy Scout group. It folds up into a little flat pack and it opens up into this panel cooker. And, uh, you know, if you put it on the ground, you can just stick these tabs in to the slots and make a, ref a panel type reflective cooker. And it's made out of foil and cardboard, right, by the Boy Scouts. So you can uh, see low-cost materials, and uh, these in Africa quite often uh, women will line the edges with fabric and make it more durable. Uh, and then, as you can see there, they will set stones around it to stabilize it, and all they have to do is re-aim it toward the sun every half an hour or, two, or an hour, uh, and uh, that'll be fine. And that'll uh, that'll cook all them all their food. So. What I see here is, is a kind of sun blindness among a lot of scientists and a lack of support for solar cooking programs 
uh, in, the, in North America. Uh, so we're trying to build up awareness and support for this in, in our little uh, nonprofit organization I'm working with. It, it, like, like getting anything else started, it's a chicken and egg problem. Uh, we go to USAID and they will say, well, show us some programs that really worked and give us some good, high-quality, third-party, independent evaluations of the, the sticking power of this kind of a process in, a, in another culture. Uh, well, that costs money, and we don't have the money to do that. And so we're in this, stuck in this chicken and egg kind of problem. But the other challenge is in, in the less developed world, in the, in the low-income people around the world, there's, what did, I, what did I say, 500 million cooking fires going on, something like that. It could be a billion, I don't know. But a lack of uh, micro-business systems. We're seeing that probably the only way that something like this can really scale up is by harnessing the business motive so that people can start, show, uh, early adopters will come in and pick this idea up, start making these things, showing their friends and neighbors how they work, showing them the value proposition, how they can save them money. They do not have to buy any more fuel. They don't have to go out searching for fuel and so on and so on. has a lot of uh, value proposition for a relatively low initial cost. Uh, so that message has to get out to the people that need to hear that. But it's a huge challenge. Uh, so I looked around the uh, NGO landscape in the U.S., uh, organizations that are interested in this subject. Uh, there's a handful. And... Uh, there's also some charities that have picked up particular programs to adopt this uh, uh, approach, and those, these are some examples of those. Uh, there are some national uh, government-funded programs in uh, at least three countries I know of. There are some things going on in India, China, and in Indonesia. So, but really not a lot of awareness uh, of this. So uh, this is our little nonprofit organization in uh, Chevy Chase, Maryland. Uh, four, four of us on the board of this uh, organization, and uh, lady on the right, Louise Meyer, uh, I will show you some more about her in the, in the coming slides, but uh, she has traveled around the world and uh, brought the solar cookers and training to various communities to uh, promote solar cooking. There, in fact, there have been several pilot projects of various sizes that have been fairly successful, uh, in countries around the world, Senegal, South Africa, El Salvador, some in Madagascar, some in Burkina Faso, and some in Indonesia that actually encourage the government to increase support. We have been developing a strategic plan over the past uh, few months, and it has three phases that may cover many years. The first phase is we have to build up the internal capacity of this NGO itself. We don't have any steady stream of income. Uh, we, we need uh, to package the knowledge that's been gained over the past 10 years uh, and, and package that in forms that can fit into uh, different uh, you know, journal articles and uh, messages of different ways. And uh, build up our, our uh, funding base and develop focused messages to interest groups. And that's what I want to show you some of those messages here. Uh, once we have gotten this uh, phase one together, what we're really doing is building readiness for partnerships so that we can start partnering and piggybacking on other in-country existing missions and NGOs that, can that we can tie together and put, put out to programs to develop solar cooking as a part of their overall kind of a holistic uh, approach to uh, improving life uh, 
for, for poor people. And then phase three will be to, to really start scaling up by harnessing large international NGOs and countries to help to expand the use of this technology, uh, if you want to call it a technology, to change the uh, lives of many people. So it's a bootstrap strategy, like any other small business or, or small NGO. With a little seed money, we do some advocacy, some marketing, advertising, get build up resources. That allows us to build up more advocacy, which allows us to build more resources and so forth. And it just has to basically start from, from almost nothing. And it's, here's some more of the challenges of this uh, endeavor. Uh, these are the kinds of disciplines, scientific disciplines involved in solar cooking R&D. A lot has been done. There are hundreds of designs of solar cookers. Uh, inventors all over the world pick this up as an interesting challenge and they develop a clever idea and quite often they will not patent it. They want it to get used around the world and some of these are used wi widely. However, that's only one little piece of the problem. Uh, there's many, many other a aspects of this and certainly uh, a key part of it is the end user, the woman who actually does the cooking. Typically it's a woman in, uh, in these cultures and that's the challenge. We don't know a lot about what will cause acceptance of solar cooking. Uh, so I have several different kinds of messages to give to different communities that we are trying to shape these messages. Uh, as I've said, changing how humanity cooks, like many other global challenges, is a system problem. Not just, it's not just about growing more trees. It's not just about designing solar cookers. It's a multidisciplinary system problem. Uh, many small research projects have been done that go all the way. It's created a, a small-scale vertical industry all the way from the manufacturing, distribution, training, deployment, and use on a daily basis in some of these countries. So we know that it can stick in some situations. Uh, but currently, there isn't any major foundation that's providing any funding for this. So real, what we we're really trying to do, the vision is to scale up from these small projects to the many millions necessary to move humanity out of Stone Age cooking practices. Uh, so, the uh, you know we've we've seen pictures like this of the uh, temperature changes that are expected around the world, uh, and that's uh, certainly uh, the you know the the, the uh, idea of of climate change is real. These are projected uh, temperature increases over the next uh, century. Uh, and it looks like we're going to, we're heading into a world that is hot, flat, and crowded. Uh, we have messages that we've been crafting for a lot of different communities. Uh, the, um, let me just give you a sample of that. In terms of people who are interested in forests, deforestation, uh, we, we know that uh, the use of wood for charcoal is causing deforestation in many regions. And you see in the background here, the denuded hillside where trees have been cut down and, and burned. Uh, population growth is converting forest to agricultural land. Uh, loss of forest results in severe habitat loss for animals as well as for plants and a lot of erosion problems. Solar cooking reduces the demand for wood. Now, of course, it doesn't always have, we don't always have sunny days. Sometimes there's cloudy days. So what we're, we have developed a uh, integrated cooking solution. It has three parts. It has the solar uh, cooker, like this panel cooker. It has a fuel-efficient wood stove that can be used on cloudy days. 
uh, and it has an insulated basket or an insulated container that's very thick insulation in which you can store hot food that'll stay hot and keep cooking for several hours. So you can cook this food in the middle of the day and keep it hot until dinner time. So that, that is a three-part, three-component, uh, what we call an integrated cooking solution that will take care of the timing issues for meals. Another message is to the health community. And here we could think about the water supply in a lot of poor countries. Uh, you know, I like to say uh, the foundation for civilization is good plumbing, right? So in, in countries like in uh, the rural areas in Kenya, 40% uh, of hospital admissions are the result of contaminated water, lack of sanitation. Uh, so the message here is that uh, solar cookers can be one way in which water can be made fit to drink. Uh, this is a, uh, a set of uh, research conclusions uh, that uh, were, were developed by Abad Metcalf testing the temperature at which various organisms are killed. Uh, worms, Giardia, Cryptosporidium and Entomoeba killed at 55C, Hep uh, Escherichia coli, Shigella, cholera type of, all these viruses can be killed at 140 and then Hepatitis A is a little tougher and be killed at 149 Fahrenheit or 65C. So the point is you do not need to get water up to boiling to kill all the bugs that are significant for health. You do not have to boil the water. All we have to have is some kind of a thermometer device that indicates when the water has reached its uh, sterilization temperature, and that's that, that's that WAPI device. It's a little low-cost device that melts the wax at 65C. So these are the kind of pictures that I've seen that just, what I, this is what I call a quadruple strategy. Here's this uh, young boy who's obviously malnourished, cooking his own meal and his sibling's meal uh, on an open wood fire, which is threatening his health. His parents died of AIDS. And meanwhile, there's sun blasting through the window, right? unused sun rays. A uh, recent study has concluded that respiratory diseases from wood fires lead to the death of over one and a half million people every year, mostly children. Now here's a, a little better sunny picture. Here's Marguerite cross-stitching and using a hot pot outside the telephone booth where she works in Ouagadougou, Burkina Faso. So she has two jobs. And meanwhile, she's cooking her meal for the evening, or I should say the son is cooking her meal. She doesn't do anything. She just does some other work, right? So there's a, a foundation here for a new approach to economic development. Uh, this is an, a message to the disaster relief community. Uh, this is a picture in Haiti after the recent earthquake. Uh, many of these solar cookers were shipped down to Haiti. Uh, you know, I, I know that also a lot of bottled water was shipped to Haiti, but uh, if you really need a lot of water, it, may, it doesn't make a lot of sense to put it on airplanes because they have plenty of water. What they don't have is clean water, drinkable water. And so with the solar cooker, you can clean water, clean food, uh, without the need to ship the water, bottled water. Uh, message to the uh, humanitarian and social justice communities. Solar cooking eliminates dangers to women and children that are out gathering firewood when they're out in the, in the woods. Uh, 
Uh, solar cooking reduces the need to store, gather, transport, and purchase fuels, all kinds of fuels. Solar cooking reduces labor and creates job opportunities for women. So these kind of messages can be tied together to the UN Millennium Development Goals, Millennium Challenge Goals. There, we are 10 years into the 15-year deadline for reaching these goals, according to uh, Ban Ki-moon. And uh, there's a meeting happening in the UN uh, soon, uh, in I think uh, next month, to address the, the benchmark, uh, the milestones that we have reached at this point. Obviously, these, these milestones are, are a, a, a benchmark. They are a number. And uh, we're going to have a lot more to do beyond the next five years. But uh, the, uh, the UN, the World Bank, set these benchmarks for eight goals to be uh, achieved. Uh, what we have realized is that solar cooking achieves or directly or indirectly every one of these uh, grand millennium challenge goals. Uh, solar cooking leads to uh, job creation. You can save on fuel costs. There's no need to buy fuel. Reduce deforestation, child safety, child health. All these things feed together to re ultimately lead to economic development, reduce climate change, saving endangered species, child nutrition, child education, uh, it touches on all areas of uh, the uh, UN goals. Now, here's a little quote from Lester Brown, uh, the uh, World Watch Institute, from 1976, a quote in Science Magazine. Uh, this was an interview, and they were asking several uh, visionary leaders, what would, they, what would you do if you could uh, lead science policy in the U.S.? And he went on about a lot of things, and he ended up with this quote. We need a basic overhaul, restructuring, and reorientation of the research establishment. We need to look around, establish what its pressing needs are. Solar technology is one, the development of a solar cooking device to offset the world firewood crisis. We can't divorce anything from the needs of the rest of the world. And that was in 1976, and as a matter of fact, that is the last time that solar cooking was mentioned in the magazine Science, all right, 34 years ago. Uh, it's just so unknown in this culture. Uh, just a couple of thoughts here. The unevenness of technology is what we're seeing around the world now. So here are some yurts in Mongolia. Uh, we took a tour there in, in 2008. Uh, C-band satellite dishes outside the yurts. Uh, so they have their television. Uh, people will take technology when it meets their need and when they see a value proposition for it. Uh, here's another well-known example, cell phones being adopted in Africa. So here we have some Maasai tribesmen with their new cell phones. Uh, a bushman, a lady with her uh, cell phone. She can use this maybe to, to uh, do a, get a text message every day that tells her what the weather is going to be so she can determine whether she should cook with her son or with the wood. Uh, the Christian community, of course, spans the world. Uh, the, uh, the Christian community, uh, you know, Christ launched the first global religion. It went to all the nations. And so Christianity is global. Our vision should be global. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Uh, so our stewardship is global. This is a church in Nairobi, Kenya, uh, where I visited. Wall to wall, every pew filled. Everybody's in there. 
so even um, you know global stewardship leads us to this ethic of reduced consumption, uh, re uh, reduced materialism, reduced pride and self-interest, uh, uh, trying to live and cope in a wor world that is getting more hot and fat, flat and crowded all the time, and fat too maybe. <laughs> Even if Christ will return tomorrow, uh, and again, this, this is a comment relative to uh, maybe a dispensationalist or something, but uh, even if Christ returns tomorrow, we are called upon not to just say, well, let the, let the world go to hell in a handbasket. We are called upon to live lives of holiness, purity, and peace today. And that's Second uh, Peter 3.14. So uh, that's, my, uh, that's my message. Uh, this is a hot pot uh, cooker, and I have a demo of this out in the atrium on the, by the windows. Uh, just, just to demo, just to show you what this thing looks like. Uh, there, uh, I, I could use this in the winter when we had snow in Washington. As long as you have a clear day, you have a, you can cook food and rice and uh, stews and and uh, soups and whatnot. Uh, there's some interesting uh, videos that you could uh, that uh, you can find on YouTube that demonstrate that this could work. As long as you have a clear day, it doesn't matter what the ambient temperature is. You can cook your meals. So with that, I'll just uh, summarize by saying, let's look up and think about the uh, new ways of doing things. Uh, please join me in uh, uh, getting an awareness of solar cooking. Pass the word by word of mouth. Check out Google solar cooking, and you can find out a lot more information about the programs that have been done, some of the successes on this. Uh, and so with that, I'll just uh, thank you for your attention. Okay, we'll take some questions. Uh, okay, Emery. Okay. Okay, next, uh, Christine. Okay, how fast does this uh, solar cooker cook? Uh, sure. Okay, uh, how fast does this cook, and can you adjust the temperature? Uh, depends on the food you're cooking, obviously. Uh, if you're talking about cooking hot dogs, maybe 15 minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Hamburgers, half an hour. Uh, a quart of water, a hot pot will cook in about half an hour to, uh, to nearly boiling. Uh, so you can cook like, a, like your lunch, your soup for lunch. Uh, you could cook in a, in a half an hour to an hour. Uh, stews, roasts, chicken, uh, cakes, uh, maybe a, a, up to two hours, something like that on a typical sunny day. <laughs> right, right. Yes, sir. Pasteurizing it. Um, the plastic bottles uh, that were sent to Haiti, that one reason for that is that's been this, uh, demonstrated to be one of the most attractive ways to get clean water. These little you know, plastic bottles of water that are, are all over the earth are kind of a pain in terms of being an environmental problem. If you can uh, flocculate the water with something like gallon or a little bit of moringa seed or something, uh, you know, so that the sediment is out, the water is fairly clear. Put it in one of those plastic bottles, and 
leave it in the sun, uh, you know, it has to be like sun, you know, ultraviolet light coming down, and it has to be plastic and not glass, that will clean the water sufficiently or kill uh, pathogens sufficiently in one day that you can drink it the next. Right. So you don't need necessarily need a solar cooker for that. The other comment I have is a lot of these techniques where they've been most successful has been where you get local craftsmen involved. You know, instead of somebody at an engineering school in the United States designing it, maybe take a prototype and you can kind of play dumb and say, hey, I got this idea. You know, there's all kinds of blacksmiths and, and craftspeople. That's right. Basket it. weaving. Yep, lots yeah, of things that can be done. Absolutely. Thank you. Another com question? Uh, uh, Ken, back in the back. Yes, good question. This hot pot is a more powerful device than a basic uh, pot. It has a glass outer liner and an inner enamel, black enamel steel liner and a, and a glass cover. Uh, it's durable and uh, it, it works by the greenhouse effect to capture the heat around that inner liner. That's why it's so powerful. But it does cost more. Uh, and so th the initial cost is one of the barriers to acceptance of this. And so we're working on trying to reduce the cost of this. Of course, you can always use any, any old black pot. Everybody already has a black pot, right? So you can always use that black pot. It is more efficient if you can put a cover around it so that it uh, captures the convective uh, flow. Yes, back there. The goals. Oh, this? Yeah. That's right. Yep, that's implicit in this too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Good. Thank you. Yes. Yes, over here. Nancy. Not yet. We are getting ready. With the messages that we've been telling here, each different NGO has its own agenda and its own interests, and they're all different. And so, as you can see, we have lots of messages to tell, but they go to different groups because everybody's kind of specialized. And so we have to craft the message that's relevant to those groups and show success stories, if, if we have them, for the, that fit those groups. Yes? Okay. okay. Well, I think we have to change speakers again now. So let's thank uh, Paul one more time.
that the next one? Is that the next pop?